Law Footy. Australia's Defence Force is set for a once-in-a-generation shake-up as priorities change. To build a more secure Australia and a more stable and prosperous region. Crash landing. A SpaceX rocket treated onlookers to a dramatic finale when it exploded mid-flight. And new voices. The federal shadow cabinet shuffles the deck as the voices referendum approaches. A lot of those people in those communities don't know what this all means and how, in fact, they're supposed to be empowered. Here are all the details from the Sin News team later this hour. Good afternoon. You're listening to On The Beat, wrapping this week's biggest stories. I'm Owen. And I'm Adam, broadcasting from Sin's Melbourne studios, based in the Eastern Kulin Nation. We'd like to respectfully acknowledge the Wurundjeri people whose land we're reporting from today. Woman Jika, welcome to the program and thanks for your company. We've got a lot of news to come. After shows from comedians big and small took over the city, the Melbourne Comedy Festival has wrapped up. Sammy J was on the circuit with his new show, Good Hustle, a farewell to his characters satirising federal politics on ABC TV. He's walking away from his regular TV spot after five years. Sammy told Bridie Golding, Naya Barnes and Freddie Moffat his act grew stronger over the course of the festival. It's towards the end of the festival now, so everyone's a little bit exhausted, but the off side of that is that everyone's shows are humming along, you know, like I'm having heaps of fun, uh, all the laughs are coming out where they're meant to. When sometimes you start a show, people laugh at the wrong spots. Now I've fixed all that. Uh, that the show good. is <laughs> a collection of characters from, um, from my ABC sketches I've been doing for the past five years, so it's, it's a whole big sort of celebration of Australian politics and society and culture, and it's even got a cameo from the Prime Minister, so I pulled some big strings for this one. Yeah, wow, that's super exciting. That's it. That's so cool. So with the Comedy Festival, um, it's such a big event with all these different comedians, and it's so cool. And um, what's it sort of like being in that environment with all these different comedians, this massive month-long sort of epic, especially after sort of COVID has sort of railroaded that for a little bit? Yeah. It's actually, like, it's, it's for me... This is my 20th year doing it, so it's a weird thing to say that, and I sound like I feel like an old man when I say that. But honestly, it's no longer uh, just like a really exciting party town. It's like a part of my life. Like I remember, you know, I did my first festival when I was 19 years old, so I, I can tap back into that version of me whilst at the same time now I'm 39 with kids. Uh, so it's for me, it's like a, a soundtrack to my life. It's there every single year, except obviously during the, the COVID years. Um, but I think because of that, I appreciate it more and more, like, Let's be honest, you know, we're all going to die in, what, 10 years or 50 years? It'll happen at some point. Bridie, Naya and Freddie, that's all I'm saying. Yeah, so, <laughs> so um, motivational. I, the, the, the older I get, the, the more I appreciate the, the good things in life when you also see the bad things. So festival to me is just an amazing uh, celebration of comedy and art. And because I live in Melbourne and I've always lived in Melbourne, it's easy for us locals to just assume every cities like that and it's just not like there's only a couple of cities in the world that have a comedy festival and only one other one which is edinburgh that has a bigger festival than our one so it's yeah it's a really cool and special time yeah it definitely is um so with your like process of writing sort of the comedy shows and i mean also your sketches at what point do you have an idea and like where does it kind of change from being just an idea to being enough to make it into a sketch or into you know a show yeah, well, it, it it always depends on the project. So if I'm writing a song, for example, that might be a different process to a, a comedy sketch about politics. Um, but it always starts with something that makes me laugh. You know, there's, there's be an idea where I think, oh, there's something in that. And uh, like uh, one example, uh, the song that I did for this year's Comedy Festival Gala, which is all about the 90s and, and how 
funny and convoluted as everything was back in the 90s. I think I started writing that five years ago. Like I did, did, wrote a little note on my phone and recorded a voice memo, and I just forgot about it and ignored it until a couple of months ago, and then I dusted it back off, and it had new life again this year because of what we've been through with COVID. I thought there were some interesting parallels. Um, so that's an example of an idea that stayed as a germ for half a decade and then came out. Other times, there are songs or poems that I've done on TV which got written in the makeup chair two hours before filming. So yeah. there is no... Um, there's no consistent pattern, but but it always starts with something that I think is a, an original or an interesting idea, and then I sort of uh, just pursue it. Yeah, super cool. Okay, I feel like it's so interesting to get like an insight into you know people who are obviously very successful and have been doing it for such a long time. You know, you've got so much experience, and I find it really fascinating yeah. to get an insight into the process behind that. I wish it was, I wish like, you know, as I say, I'm, I'm feeling older lately. So I feel like I wish I could say, well, here's how you do it. And it's really simple. And it, it never gets easier, but you get more confident. Like I feel like uh, I'm more, if I write a song now, I'm, I feel like I've got a better idea of whether the audience will like it or not before I even perform it to them because you, you get your muscles up and you sort of have a, have a better sense of trusting your judgment, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Um, and... Sammy, as you may know, we are a political radio show um, and you oh, have done... that's why I'm doing this. I'm <laughs> excited. <laughs> and you have uh, talked to a myriad political people and, and people involved in that area of the world and I'm sure you're asked this a million times. Uh, what has been your favourite political interview? Oh, I actually don't get asked that at all because oh. people don't... Um, people normally just say, like, oh, do politicians get offended? And, <laughs> and I haven't... I, also, I haven't done heaps of interviews because I think these days politicians are a bit scared of me. Like, um, I'll, I'll say my, my favourite political sort of it wasn't so much an interview as an experience, but about six years ago, in fact, exactly six years ago, I was doing a little show for iView on ABC called um, the Sammy J's Democratic Party where I pretended I was in a bunker underneath Parliament House. And it was just like a little late-night 10-minute sketch show. So I was asking politicians if they would um, come on, and so I was emailing all these politicians just via their websites. And I emailed Anthony Albanese, who was the then, like, opposition uh, infrastructure spokesperson, you know, like a nobody, basically. And <laughs> and I thought, like, one of his people might get back to me. And he emailed me back directly, like, half an hour later. I was like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do something. <laughs> and so he flew down the next week, and we filmed the whole sketch. It's still up on YouTube, like, this absurd sketch where he came in and tried to launch a leadership coup of me in my bunker. And I swore at him, and, like, we just hung out for the day and stuff. And that was fun because he was a good sport. But now what's cool is I can say I know the Prime Minister. And that's, as a political nerd growing up, like that's a pretty sweet flex to be able to, to say. That's um, the dream. Also, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it is, and that's, the, that's my secret shame, guys, because uh, I'm just a politics nerd. I love politics. Uh, you know, I went to the mock parliamentary debating sessions when I was in high school and all that stuff. So all my comedy and satire is just an excuse to be close to power. And so um, that's, that's where I find myself now. So with all of this interaction that you have sort of in the world of politics with all those people and, of course, having a role at the public broadcaster, has there ever been a sketch or a joke that you've sort of looked back on and gone, oh, I don't agree with that or I regret doing that? (laughs) Well, regret is a strong word uh, because we all probably regret a million things in life. So I've I've learned to be... I've learned to be easy on myself when it comes to like old material, like stuff I was doing 20 years ago on stage. I just get cancelled for these days, you know, but I think, well, okay, but I was young, I was trying to shock people and it was, um, you know, bad attempts at irony or I was just ignorant and immature. So for all those reasons, I go, okay, I'll cut myself a break there. I'm, I'm not doing that stuff now. Uh, no, in terms of stuff I put out there these days, 
like I said earlier, because I've got a better, better sense of who I am and what I find funny, I sort of back everything I put out there. And I also accept that some people won't like it, particularly the targets of the sketch, you know. But if I feel I can justify it morally or comedically, then I sort of am happy to back it. And the, the longer you are in showbiz, the more you accept happily that some people will love what you do. You know, I have a particular niche with political nerds and musical comedy lovers and, and grandmas who watch ABC. That's my, that's my sweet target <laughs> crowd. Others... Hate me. Others think I'm some, you know, lefty woke snowflake on the ABC who they couldn't pay enough not to see me. So I'm comfortable with all that, and I think that makes you more confident doing what you're doing because there's nothing worse than trying to please everyone. I think that's what I started to do in early in my career, just trying to please everyone, which is, you know, you're never going to do that. So you'll just be constantly unhappy. That was comedian Sammy J. Catch the full interview on the Represent podcast. Australia's migration system has been brand broken and unfair. In a new report made to Parliament. The report advocates for major reform of the system to enable skilled workers to migrate to Australia. Home Affairs Minister Claire O'Neill addressed the claims at the National Press Club. Our migration system is suffering from a decade of genuinely breathtaking neglect. It is broken, it is failing our businesses, it is failing migrants themselves. The majority of migrants to Australia arrive on temporary visas and do not remain in the country. Queensland and South Australian voters are expected to vote no to the voice to Parliament according to Roy Morgan data. National support has fallen 7 points to 46%, with undecided voters more likely to move to a no vote than voting in favour. This comes as a Liberal Party announced its opposition to The Voice, appointing no Senator Jacinta Price to shadow Cabinet. If the media are prepared to go out to those communities, have those conversations, they will find that a lot of those people in those communities don't know what this all means and how, in fact, they're supposed to be empowered uh, through this model. A referendum requires a double majority of voters and states to pass constitutional change. Comedian Barry Humphreys had died aged 89 following complications from hip surgery. He had the surgery after falling out of his home in February. Miriam Margulies spoke to ABC News about Humphreys' complicated legacy. He loved to make people laugh. And I think he was very hurt and saddened by what happened after the Melbourne Festival, the so-called comedy festival and he was acerbic and he was often quite nasty but he was a genius and sometimes you just have to accept that. One of Humphrey's popular characters was drag queen housewife Dame Edna Everidge. US President Joe Biden has announced he'll run for a second term in the Oval Office. The next election isn't until November 2024 but candidates typically campaign for at least 18 months. If Biden wins, he'll be the oldest U.S. president in history at 82 years old, which he addressed earlier this year. It's legitimate for people to raise issues about my age. It's totally legitimate to do that. And the only thing I can say is watch me. Biden faces a crowded Republican field, including former President Trump and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Fox News has paid a record defamination settlement to Dominion voting systems after falsely linking the company to election fraud. The $1.2 billion Australian dollar settlement is the highest public defamation payment in U.S. legal history. While the case did not go to trial, Dominion CEO John Polis spoke outside the court. The evidence brought to light through this case underscores the consequences of spreading lies. Truthful reporting in the media is essential to our democracy. Dominion, our employees, our people, our partners are grateful to the court for allowing us the process for the truth to come out. The network's highest-ranking personality, Tucker Carlson, was let go from Fox News following the settlement. Nature Journal has published a new image of a black hole shooting out of a jet of energy. 
It has captured the image using 16 telescopes worldwide, using the Earth as an observational disk. It's the same black hole as the one captured in the first ever black hole image in 2019. It's called Messier 87 or M87. And there's a supermassive black hole at its core. And we are delighted to be able to report to you today that we have seen what we thought was unseeable. We have seen and taken a picture of a black hole. Study co-author Kazunori Akiyama said this new image is what astronomers and astrophysicists have been waiting to see for half a century. You're listening to On The Beat from Sin News Team. Thanks for your company. We've got lots still to come. To keep up with the latest news updates, follow Sin Media on the socials. Or listening anytime online. Just visit sin.org.au or search Sin, S-Y-N, on your preferred podcast platform. Iconic fashion designer Tom Ford is stepping down from his namesake brand after 13 years. A statement broke the news by announcing Ford's final collection, saying the designer turned to his archives and reissued his favourite looks from the past 13 years. Ford is known for revitalising Gucci in the 1990s and leading the American Council of Fashion Designers throughout the pandemic. When I began my role as chairman, my goal was to help the American fashion industry become more globally recognised for its importance and for the talent that is here. Little did we know that a pandemic would shut the world down and change the course of our lives and the course of our business forever. Menswear design director Peter Hawkins is rumoured to be taking over women's wear at Tom Ford, but no announcement has been made. Isabella Chambers reports. Tom isn't worried about money because he did just sell his brand for $2.8 billion to SA Lauder in November 2021. So this was like known, but we didn't actually know that his departure date was going to be today. He did his final, like it was like a retrospective. He had all of, you know, his old muses, Amber Valletta. They were all in these beautiful glass boxes wearing his vintage looks. It's interesting because the fashion industry has also just seen a number of really high profile departures recently, including Alessandro Michelle from Gucci, Raph Simmons closing his name brand who also he also worked for Dior Jeremy Scott leaving Moschino and now Pharrell Williams taking over Louis Vuitton it shows like you can transfer into industries and that the creative industry is a massive sector and I know people personally who are designers for really big companies in Australia who have no qualification but they've showed a creativity and a vision that they were able to execute. Like you have a very different way of living. If they were to hire somebody up and coming, and I think some places have done that. Um, I think Off-White's just done that. With They've actually just hired the dazed editor-in-chief, and he's done an incredible job with his latest um, show on Paris Fashion Week, starring Naomi Campbell. We've got people from Proenza who are quite new. Um, Caperni, they're quite young. So, I don't know, we'll see. That was the Bella Chambers for Panorama, airing Thursdays at 4pm. The federal government has accepted the recommendations of a landmark military review released to coincide with Anzac Day. The report's 62 recommendations include expanding Australia's attack range, investing in sea forces and finding alternative support for local natural disaster responses. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese says the once-in-a-40-year report comes amid challenging circumstances. That's why we're investing in our capabilities and we're investing in our relationships to build a more secure Australia and a more stable and prosperous region. Billions in cuts to other military projects will fully fund the recommendations, but the AUKUS submarine agreement is unchanged. Freddie Morfat reports. So in this report, we had 62 recommendations, all of which have been agreed to or agreed to in principle, and it's going to be a massive overhaul of 
defense planning. So they're putting a much bigger emphasis on how far we can attack because there's been a long sort of standing not assumption, but for a long time Australia has had this advantage where we're kind of geographically in the middle of nowhere. That's in sort of an age where we can fling missiles at each other and hack each other, um, and we've got nuclear submarines that can dash against the in the sea. Um, that's changing a lot. So a lot of the review has been recommendations to try and help Australia um, be able to respond a lot faster because there was sort of a quote I saw the uh, the other day where we have a if we if we had reason to believe that we were at risk of something we'd have a decade to prepare we don't have that anymore so we're assuming that this natural land advantage is gone so our attack range we used to only be able to to attack up to 40 kilometers away and we're now able to do that up to 500 kilometers away and this is going to be thanks to these long-range precision missiles uh, that we're going to be able to guide in conjunction with the AUKUS submarines so we're going to be able to attack so much further away while we're also looking at expanding and sort of fortifying our bases across northern Australia because that's seen as a massive gateway into that South China Sea and that Indo-Pacific region. So the idea is if we sort of build it up a little bit more um, up there, we'll, we'll be able to attack a lot easier from northern Australia and that's going to be seen as a massive sort of pathway into that South China Sea region. That was Freddie Mofat for Represent, airing Tuesdays at 5pm. A highly anticipated SpaceX rocket launch turned into fireworks when the firm's Starship exploded mid-flight. The live broadcast was the first test of the new model and was watched by millions. SpaceX Quality Systems Engineering Manager Kate Tice was commentating when the ship exploded. But I do want to remind everyone that everything after clearing the tower was icing on the cake. Starships are now grounded for launch while authorities investigate the incident, which caused environmental damage to the area. Sura Mishri reports. This was a Starship rocket, a new classification. This was the first of its kind, and it climbed up 20 miles in air, stayed in air about for four minutes, and then it blew up. No one was injured at all. It flew over the Mexico Gulf, so nobody okay. was injured whatsoever. There was some damage done to the Texas airbase. There are still oh. a lot of debris and holes in the airbase, which might take some time to fix. Here's the thing, though. They have been calling this a successful failure. SpaceX is willing to throw all this money at this. Mm -hmm. They're willing to let it fail for the progress of uh, SpaceX uh, rockets. The future of Starship rockets is supposed to be, it's supposed to carry 100 astronauts to space. Right now, our capacity is four astronauts per spaceship, mm -hmm. whatever has been sent up there. That was Suyuro Mishri for Panorama, online on your preferred podcast platform. The Liberal Party reshuffled its cabinet last week following MP Karen Andrews' re resignation as Shadow Home Affairs Minister. Senator Jacinta Price fills the vacancy Julian Lisa left as Indigenous Affairs spokesperson. Meanwhile, Senator Carrie Ann Little moves into sh the Shadow Cabinet overseeing child protection and family violence prevention, both important issues to her. In areas of social housing, in areas of employment, in areas of education, all of those things help contribute to making families safer and to enable uh, young people and older Australians to uh, go about their lives in uh, in relative safely, safety. The two first-term senators increased their profiles after campaigning against the proposed voice to Parliament. Bridie Golding reports. 
So uh, Karen Andrews, who was the former Home Affairs Minister, has said she was going to retire at the next election. She also said before she or after she'd resigned that she was not going to campaign for a no vote. She's not going to be out there wearing a T-shirt that says no on it. Back to the Cabinet reshuffle. Jacinta Price. She is a very outspoken Indigenous senator in the NT. Uh, She is very vocally against The Voice. This week, the Central Land Council, which is a very powerful NT land rights group, condemned her. They represent 24,000 people over 777,000 square kilometres and more than 15 language groups. So they hold a fair bit of sway. They said that she neither speaks for them nor listens to them. She needs to stop pretending we are her people. And we have many good men and women who are trying hard to make our communities better places, who are desperate to be heard. And Senator Price's divisive approach isn't helping. So this comes from the Deputy Chair, Warren Williams, who's a former assistant school principal and the chair of Yendamu's uh, Walpiri Youth Development Corporation. Another community leader in the larger Manu community and Warpiri elder, Valerie Patterson, has said that Price is misrepresenting the support for The Voice in remote communities. I'm a Warpiri woman and I will vote yes because I believe that having the right to be heard by the parliament and the government will open a door for our children. That was Bridie Golding for Represent Online on your preferred podcast platform. Disability Minister Bill Shorten has announced an overhaul of the National Disability Insurance Team amid spiralling costs. It is estimated up to 20% of NDI's claims are rorts, with total costs expected to top $97 billion within the next 12 years. But Shorten is wary of how participants who have already faced barriers to support may see changes to the scheme. We've had families ring up and say, does this mean I'm going to lose my package? So there's a lot of trauma and there's a lot of muscle memory of the last 10 years. So yes, we are going to crack down on the fraud and we're going to invest in more systems. A plan for a crackdown and staffing boost will preempt a Royal Commission report into disability services expected this October. Lachlan Patrick reports. Bill Shorten, he is hell-bent on overhauling the National Disability Insurance Scheme. He spoke to the National Press Club. This was last week about the ideas behind the NDIS because this was originally in 2008 Australia went to the United Nations and they ratified the, um, you know, the rights of people with disabilities. This was a big, big step. And then in response to that, um, in kind of the later days of Julia Gillard's term, the NDIS has been a big labour idea. So he was talking to the National Press Club about kind of the, the thinking right and the rationale behind the NDIS, as well as the problems that have faced it in the implementation. Because while Labor came up with this idea and went, wouldn't this be great? They got voted out before they had a chance to actually put it into place. Bill Shorten says... The idea was great. The execution's been horrific because we have now 15 to 20% of NDIS expenditure being rorted by service providers overcharging. That is going to be part of reducing the costs. Bill Shorten said they're going to increase. That's a given. But do they have to increase to $97 billion? His challenge over the remaining two years of his term is to get that number down as far as he can while still ensuring the participants are able to access the services they need. Michael Sukar is the Shadow Disability Affairs Minister. He said after nearly 12 months of kicking key decisions down the road, all Bill Shorten could provide was the usual motherhood statements identifying issues without providing detailed solutions. 
bill does have a little further to kick this down the road. We have a Royal Commission currently ongoing into disability services. They're not due to report back with recommendations until October. That's when we'll see some real significant change. That was Lachlan Patrick for Represent. On the socials, at Sin, Represent. This has been On The Beat from the Sin News Team. Thanks for your company. I've been Owen. And I've been Adam. To keep up with the latest news updates, follow Sin Media on the socials. If you missed anything, visit sin.org.au to catch up or search Sin, that's S-Y-N, on your preferred podcast platform. And don't forget to tune in next time by listening live on 97 FM or digital radio in Melbourne or Geelong.